Uh, I've seen some runners wear a weight vest. What would be the point of that? There is no point to that, Chris. It's it's foolish. It's it's silly. Diz Runs Radio episode seven hundred and sixty-five starts in three, two. Welcome back to Diz Runs Radio, where I talk with runners from all corners of the running world about running, life, and everything in between. I'm your host, Denny Cray, and it's just about time to head out the door for an easy run and a great conversation. So if you're ready, then I'm ready. Let's get started. Hey guys, uh, this month's listener Q&A episode of the show is brought to you by my friends from Knucklelights, longtime supporter of the show, uh, been been a fan, been a friend of the folks over there at Knucklelights HQ for, for a while now, and a uh, big fan of their product, which if you haven't heard me talk about Knucklelights before, basically what it is, is it's kind of like a flashlight that sticks to the outside of your hands so that you're able to run and light the path, light the way in front of you. Um, without having to hold something in your hands, without having to have a, a headlamp kind of pressing against your, your head, uh, which I kind of find a little bit uncomfortable. So, um, you know, as, as the days are getting, getting shorter, the nights are getting longer, at least here in the Northern hemisphere. Um, you know, it's, it's a good idea to make sure you take a light with you when you're out on your, your run, not only obviously, so you can see what is on the path in front of you, uh, and try to avoid, you know, some sticks or a, a puddle or, or whatever the case might be. But uh, maybe more so important, so that any cars, any traffic, any anything that uh, you know might cause you some trouble, can can see you and make sure to avoid you. Because when it comes to uh, car runner collisions, cars are still undefeated. So we want to uh, try to avoid that situation, if at all possible. And and one of the best ways to do that is to make it so painfully obvious to any driver that's out there. That uh, hey, there's something there's something going on on the road up there. Let me make sure I slow down and and, and move over a little bit. And knuckle lights are a great great way to do that. So uh, if you haven't got yourself a pair yet, I can't recommend them strongly enough. Head over to knucklelights.com um, and and get yourself a pair. Uh, you can I you can probably get them on Amazon as well. But uh, check them out and let them know you heard about uh, heard about the product and and uh, you know you're, you're taking a flyer on them based on my recommendation. Certainly you know helps keep them wanting to support the show. Um, but, uh, seriously, more, more important than, than their support of the show is you making sure that you're safe out there for your runs this fall and into the winter. Um, and knuckle lights are a great, great way to help make that possible. So knucklelights.com for getting yourself a pair of, of great, great lights that I find myself using them, not just when running, running either, but when I'm doing work in the yard or doing a little something where it's getting to be dark, I need a little bit of a light right there. Boom. Knuckle lights. Good to go. So check them out. Knucklelights.com. So this month. Y'all, we got some questions. Y'all, y'all powered through. And if if you're new to the show, if you haven't haven't heard one of these episodes before, these happen at the end of every month. Um, I take your questions, try to put on my coaching hat a little bit, give you a little bit of advice, a little bit of of some suggestions to help you, you know, navigate whatever struggles you're dealing with. Or I take your questions and uh, you know the ones that are a little bit maybe less serious, and we have a little bit of fun with them. Um, but the best way to get your questions answered, if you want to uh, join the party next month or any month down the road, is to head over to the Facebook group, which you can just get to by pointing your browser to disruns.com slash Facebook. It'll automatically redirect you through the magic of the internet uh, right to the, the Facebook group page. And you you know click to uh, click to join the group. We'll let you in. Um, or if you're just the you know, next time you're on Facebook, just type into the search bar there, uh, the Disruns tribe, and uh, come on in and, and again, join the party and um, 
somewhere in the middle of each month, I put up a post that says, hey, what are your questions for this month? And uh, I believe that we've got more questions this month. This month, goodness gracious, all I've been drinking is coffee this morning, I swear, but my, my tongue is apparently tied in a knot. Uh, but all, all of the questions, are, we've got more questions this month than I think we've ever had before. So this episode could be a doozy. Hope you hope you got a long run scheduled for today because if it's just a little shorty, uh, you, you're not, we're not going to get through the whole thing uh, in today's episode unless you jack it up to like 3x speed. And if you do, you're better than me. 2x is good enough for me when it comes to listening to my podcast. Uh, 3x, whew, that's, that's a whole other level. Uh, but if you got 3x, you might be able to get done with this one in a, in a three or four mile today. We will see. We will see how this goes, but uh, I'll try to cut the, uh, the the less than witty banter to a minimum and just dive into some questions right now. So, first question. Well, hold on. Let me let me let me press pause because I brought the wrong window up here. Hold on. I'll be right back. All right, we're back. I opened up the uh, the show notes for today's episode. We just have the uh, the abridged version of the questions, but the show notes do have some links, some relevant stuff, and a whole lot of unrelevant stuff like memes, gifs, the whole nine yards. So if you want to check that out for today's episode, for this quick tip episode, it's disruns.com slash 675, I believe, or no, 765. Let me, let me get my number straight there. Disruns.com slash 765 for today's show notes. Now we'll get in officially to uh, the first question from... Nita Sweeney, Ms. Nita Sweeney, who was on the show not too long ago talking about her book, Depression Hates a Moving Target. If you haven't gotten that one yet, go get yourself a copy off of the, off of the Amazons. Um, but uh, Nita asked, missed, she said, or she says, I guess, missed my 17-mile run, might also miss my 20-mile run. Marathon is on October 20th. Is it too late? Should I drop to the half? Um, you know, Nita, I, I think that, I, I don't think that you have to drop to the half. I, I think there's still, I mean, you still got, as, as this episode goes out, you still got, what, six, seven weeks, something like that. Um, between now and, and your race date. So, you know, if you've already, if you're already up to a, a 17 or 18 mile run and, and, you know, you've got your 20 miler scheduled, but you might not be able to do it. There's still plenty of time to shuffle that around a little bit and get another 20 miler in there, get another 20 miler on the schedule. If, if that's something that you want to do, you know, there's, there's still plenty of time to, to rearrange. So, you know, I don't think you're at a point where it's too late. Now, if, you, if you're not, if you're kind of looking for a reason to, to not do the, the full and just run the half, Hey, that, there's a good reason. Just that, that's the reason. Not that not that you missed the 17 miler and, and whatever. The reason is if you don't want to do the full, don't do the full. Just drop down to the half, you know. But uh, if if you want to do the full, and your fitness is is there to the point where you're already doing 17, 18 miles at this point, move that 20 miler up a week or back a week. You're good to go. So um, so yeah, I think you can still do it if you want to. And if you don't want to, then I don't think you should. Hope that uh, hope that makes sense in there somehow. But uh, but yeah, Nita, I think if you want to do it. Go for it for sure. Uh, next question comes from Chris. He says, my daughter's running coach last year had a big bushy beard and I see you're working on a big bushy beard and some others I've seen in races have been sporting a beard as well. From a running perspective, how important is the beard? It seems like it could cause a bit of drag and slow you down, but it also could be a nice place to store your mid run snacks. Chris, the beard is vital. It is vital. You know, your length, your bushiness that varies more by preference, but the beard Absolutely. Slam dunk. Get you, get yourself one. Next question comes from Ari says, uh, due to my schedule, 
I run early mornings. I've never eaten before running until now. It seems to be working. However, now that I'm ramping up the distance covering, you know, 20K or more. And for those of you that don't speak metric, uh, a half marathon is 21K. So getting up to that 12, 13 mile distance. Um, I wanted to know if I should start considering eating before slash during my long runs, reading conflicting things online, curious for your take. Also, what types of foods would you recommend? Thanks. So Ari, you know, I, I think that if you're starting to feel like you're starting to fade at the end of some of these these longer runs, um, definitely probably want to do some fueling. Um, eating beforehand is, is a great option. Fueling during your run, also a great option. Uh, it just kind of depends. And, and you know, the, the general rule of thumb of science uh, is that we can pretty much store in our, in our muscles, in our liver, um, somewhere between 90 and 120 minutes of, uh, fuel or a hundred, you know, enough fuel to make us, to help us go for somewhere between 90 and 120 minutes, um, of, of carbo stored carbohydrate, glycogen, glucose, things like that. So if you're, if you're going longer, which if you're getting into that half marathon type of distance, you're probably into that 90 to a, to 120 minutes in an hour and a half to two hour, uh, type of, of long run, you know, yeah, you, you're, you're, Fuel might be running low, um, especially since you're, you're starting the run fasted. So, um, you know, so yeah, adding a little something beforehand, adding a little something during the run, maybe a little bit of both. This is where, you know, when you're in your training and you're training for the longer races, I'm going to assume you're training for like a marathon or something like that. You may not be, but you know, as, as you continue to, to ramp out your distance longer, part of that, that training process is figuring out what you need to do for, from the fueling perspective. So, you know, it could be something as simple as like a scoop of peanut butter before you head out the door or, a piece of toast or, you know, if you have, like I, I get, uh, the, the picky bars every month sent to my house. So, you know, maybe like a, a Lara bar, some type of, of, you know, bar that's got, that's healthy. That's got some, some, you know, made of dates or made of figs or something like that. I mean, even a granola bar, whatever, something like that, a cliff bar. Um, you know, something that's got a little bit of carbs, a little bit of protein, a little bit of, of goodness in it. Um, but you just had to experiment. You just got to play with things, see what works for you. And, and, you know, if you find something that, that doesn't set right on your stomach, gives you a little bit of indigestion, has some, some GI issues, then, you know, note to self, don't have that next time. Um, and the same thing during the run, you know, if you want to have some of the gels or goos or chews or, or things like that, that are more runner specific, start playing with those and introducing those a little bit. Um, another science rule of thumb is that it takes about 30 ish minutes, something like that, 20 to 30 minutes for the, for the fuel source going in to actually be you know, digestible, broken down and able to be used by your body. So, you know, if, if you're planning a, a two hour run, um, or you're planning a three hour run, don't wait until you're two hours into fuel, you know, maybe fuel at that hour and a half mark, uh, maybe fuel at the hour mark and again at the two hour mark so that you're, you're getting a little bit of a steady drip throughout your run. Um, but those are just some, some things to, to, uh, consider. Um, obviously you can also fuel with, with liquids. So you can take like a Gatorade or a t tailwind or Powerade or something like that with you. Um, but again, it, it comes down to trial and error, trying some different things, figuring out what works for you, figuring out what, what mix of macronutrients works better for you. You know, some people maybe want more carbs. Some people want a little bit more protein. Again, it just depends on what sits well on your stomach, what helps you feel energized without feeling lethargic, without feeling like you've got some, some bloat or some GI issues going on. Cause obviously we want to avoid that if at all possible. So, you know, as your, as your training continues to, to inch out on some of these longer runs, Keep a little diary, keep, keep mental note, whatever it is, but play with some different things. Um, I used to be a big egg guy before a run. So, you know, maybe a, a hard boiled egg, um, on race day, I'd have, you know, full, full on breakfast, 
Uh, I've gotten away from that a little bit, but uh, you know that that you always worked well for me. It set well on my stomach. You know, I'd give myself enough time to digest a little bit, but you know, as, as long as I didn't eat a big uh, you know three course breakfast right before I stepped uh, to the, to the starting line, I was usually good to go. So you know, you just got to play with it, figure out what works best for you. So I, I don't know if that really answers your question, Ari, but hopefully that gives you at least kind of the, the, the green light to go ahead and start playing with some things, trying some different options and figuring out kind of what, what works best for you, because it's going to be different from one person to the next, both in terms of, you know, the types of foods and obviously your preferences. So some things you don't like, well, you don't have to have any certain type of thing, you know, maybe a little bit of coffee, maybe not coffee, you know, whatever it all, it all depends on what works for you. So just have to do some trial and error and, uh, you know, pro tip when you're trial and erroring some different things, Make sure that you plan your route so that you're kind of close to, uh, you know, a, a place where you can take a little pit stop if necessary, because um, you don't want to be uh, too much trial and error. And when you're you know, out on some back country road or out on some some trail where now you're, you, I mean, I guess, you know, maybe that's better than being in, in the city where you can just kind of squat behind a tree. Um, but preferably you can be somewhere where there's, you know, a gas station or a public restroom or whatever, someplace where if you, if, if you get that urge, you can uh, get there quick before, uh, Nature overcomes your, your, your control, if you know what I mean. But uh, hope that helps, Ari. Thanks you for the question. Cynthia kind of followed up on that question and said, uh, more on the food topic, what does a typical day of eating look like for you being a fat-adapted runner, and how many carbohydrates do you tend to stay under per day? So, so yes, um, if you've been following along for a while, you know that I've, I've kind of gone away from the typical um, – running recommendations or endurance athlete recommendations when it comes to, to fueling. Uh, I all, you know, I went down this route when I started down the, uh, the primal endurance, uh, situation, um, or, or, you know, read that book and, and have, have really bought into it, uh, pretty, pretty hardcore, although not hardcore enough, uh, or not hardcore, not as hardcore as some, and I'll, I'll unpack that a bit as we go. So what does a typical day of eating look like for me? So, so I eat low carb, so I, I tend to eat higher fat foods. I also tend to, um, practice intermittent fasting, um, which is not, it's not a hard and set rule for me, but I try to keep my, my calorie intake to within certainly less than eight hours uh, of the day, ideally probably closer to like six or five hours, but you know, it doesn't always, doesn't always work out like that. So my typical day and, and, and the other caveat here is I don't know that I really have a typical day. Like it varies a little bit. Like the time frames are typically the same, but as far as what I eat definitely varies from one day to the next. So, um, wake up, you know, the alarm goes off most days at about four 30, um, get out of bed, start drinking the water. Right. And so I'll have between, between the time I wake up and, you know, somewhere between like nine and 10 o'clock, I aim for 48 ounces of, of water. I do lace my water with a little bit of vitamin C powder and some sea salt to try to get some electrolytes back in. Also get some vitamin C in, which is good for immune health and, and uh, you know, a whole host of, of reasons that vitamin C is kind of the, the wonder drug or at least the wonder vitamin, I guess, not so much a drug, um, but lot, lots of benefits to vitamin C. Um, so I, I overdose on vitamin C starting from first thing in the morning. So I'm taking vitamin C, water, and sea salt. 48 ounces of it because I, I have a Nalgene bottle. It's 24 or whatever, 24, 25 ounces, whatever, when it's full. Um, fill that up twice. That's that's how I start my day. Whenever I finish that second bottle or somewhere between 9 o'clock and 10 o'clock usually, um, I start drinking coffee. And I drink coffee. I drink more coffee. And I drink more coffee. Um, starts off black. Black coffee from whenever I start until about noon. 
usually about noon, whenever I refill my coffee cup, somewhere around, you know, between 1130 and 1230, whenever I'm getting a refill in there. And yes, I've done my pull-ups to get my refills. And then, you know, I get my, I get my, if you, if you know that story, you know that story. If not, just disregard, but, um, I'll do my pull-ups, get my refill, fill up my coffee cup again and make a fatty coffee. So usually that means it's got some butter in it. Sometimes it means it also has some, um, like coconut oil. Sometimes not. Sometimes an egg yolk. Sometimes not. Just kind of depends on how hungry I am. If I'm really hungry, I might load it up with a bit more fat. If I'm not super hungry yet at, at noon, um, I'll just throw some some uh, you know like a, a tablespoon of, of unsalted butter in there with my coffee. Let that melt and then swirl it all around so it's not just all the the butter at the top. Which I've done that before. It's not as tasty as when you mix it up a little bit um, and then drink that. And so that's like my first, that's technically that's breaking the fast. Some people would say it's not really breaking the fast. Some people say it, it definitely is um, because it's not water. I mean, some people would argue that just drinking black coffee is breaking the fast, whatever you, you get different, different takes on that line of thought. But I start taking in calories at about noon with a little bit of, of fat in my coffee. Keep drinking the coffee though until about two, somewhere between two and three, I stop drinking the coffee, switch back to water again, laced with vitamin C laced with sea salt. And usually about then is when I'll actually have my first like bite of proper food for the day. Although some days it doesn't happen until three o'clock. Some days it doesn't happen until four o'clock. Some days it doesn't happen until five o'clock. It just kind of depends on what's on the schedule, what's how the day is shaking out. Um, obviously, if I'm really hungry, I'll make a point to it. If I'm not that hungry, then, you know, whatever. If I get to it, I get to it. If not, yeah, whatever. No big deal. Um, but lunch is usually something that's definitely, uh, you know, slanted towards the side of protein and fat and a, maybe a little bit of carbs. Like I might have a piece of fruit. I, I'm kind of a fruit addict. So, you know, I typically maybe have, have some grapes or an orange or some type of fruit, um, before I have the, the heavier, if you will, part of my lunch, um, which could be, you know, it could be breakfast. It could be, it could be breakfast food, food. It could be eggs and eggs and bacon, sometimes eggs on a bed of spinach. Um, sometimes, it's, it's tuna fish in a, like a romaine lettuce wrap. Um, sometimes it's lunch meat in the romaine lettuce wrap. Sometimes it's leftovers from dinner the night before. Um, but, but it's usually going to be protein, fat, heavy, light ish on the carbs for, for breakfast, lunch, whatever you want to call it. Whenever I eat somewhere between two o'clock and five o'clock is when I have my first meal. Um, then, you know, just keep, keep on with the water dinner somewhere between five 30 and six, usually with, uh, you know, with the family, um, again, protein, protein, fat and vegetable heavy. So some type of meat, usually chicken, pork, beef, whatever, some combination therein. sometimes seafood, you know, again, it varies. It's not like a real set thing, some type of vegetable, whatever, broccoli, Brussels sprouts, peas, you know, whatever, some type of hopefully typically green, not always, but typically green vegetable. Um, and that's dinner, finish up my water for the day. So I end up with, with two more of those, those bottles of water. So I get, you know, somewhere between 95 and hundred ounces, depending on exactly how full I fill my bottle, um, of water. And that's my, my typical day. You know, I'll probably mix in some, some peanut butter here and there somewhere. A couple of, a couple of scoops of peanut butter is, is pretty much a standard thing, but it's not at a, at a specific time. It just kind of depends how hungry I am. Mix in a little bit of extra fruit. I try to get at least four, fruits, veggies, you know, and it's typically like three fruits and one veggie. I need to, I need, I know I need to do better on that. Um, and it's not necessarily servings. It's probably like each time it's probably a double serving. So I'm, I'm, I like to think I'm getting a fair bit of, of, uh, you know, produce into my, my diet. But again, I should probably err more on the side of more veggies than, than fruit, but whatever it is, what it is. 
Um, I might I probably have some cheese mixed in there as well, kind of a, a little bit more calorie dense uh, uh, item. Um, especially since, you know, I, I'm trying not to like go way under my calories. I'm just trying to eat the same number of calories in a shortened window. So you got to have some fairly dense calorie foods, right? If you're going to only eat in five hours, six hours, and still have as many calories as you'd have if you were eating over a 12 or 14 hour window. Um, but that's kind of my typical day. I may have, uh, a you know, a nightcap, a glass of gin or a glass of tequila at some point. Um, you know, usually probably twice, twice or three times a week. Um, that's usually around dinner time. So I'm finished with that by, you know, seven thirty, eight o'clock at the latest. I try to not have any calories after eight o'clock. Again, it's not hard and fast. Um, that's, that's, that's the goal. Sometimes it's a little bit later. Sometimes it's not, sometimes it's good, whatever, but that's, that's the typical ish day. I, I hope that wasn't too boring. I hope that kind of answers your question. Maybe gives you something to think about because, you know, quite honestly, I, I eat like that. I've eaten like that pretty much, uh, you know, exclusively for the last 20 months or so. I feel better than I've ever felt. Um, I feel like I have more energy. My endurance is better. It certainly ties in with the heart rate training side of things. Um, as far as how many carbohydrates, I have no idea. I, I've stopped tracking that. Um, I, every so often I'll, I'll track a little bit if I feel like I'm, I'm putting on some weight and I'm trying to figure out where it's coming from, but usually it's more of tracking calories. It's not so much tracking carbs. I, I don't, I don't know the exact number. Obviously it depends on, on what fruit is ripe and what fruit is in the house. Cause that's where most of my carbs come from. Um, but you know, whatever, 50 grams, 75 grams, maybe a hundred grams once in a while. I, I do have a little bit of a soft spot for, like I said, taking a, a a tablespoon of, of peanut butter, drizzling a little honey on top of it. So sometimes I get a few more carbs from the, the honey if I go a little bit crazy there. Um, you know, but but whatever. I don't I don't keep track. I would I would wager that almost every day is less than hundred grams of carbs. Um, you know, some days maybe I get a little bit heavier if I do have like a sweet potato, um, along with the fruit, along with a, a more of a starchier vegetable, it might it might add up a little bit. I don't freak out about it. I don't worry about it. I, I am too, uh, lazy to track that on a regular basis, but that's my, that's my general day of, of, of fueling flies totally counter to all of the, you know, endurance diet gurus. Um, but it really works well for me and I feel great and my running is getting better every day. So, you know, I, I'm not gonna, uh, argue with it. it it's working. Um, and, uh, and yeah, so that's, that's what I do. And then, you know, to kind of tie that back in with Ari's question, I definitely do all my runs fasted. I, I don't, I don't eat before, uh, you know, a marathon other than I might have a piece of fruit. Like I said, fruit junkie here, but I might have a piece of fruit before a race day. But like when I did my, my S and G 26.25, uh, or 0.2, I guess, but I ended up being 0.25, uh, last weekend, I didn't have anything beforehand. I just, just had my water. You know, I had my water. I took my water bottles with me. I did throw some, you know, some tailwind in after about 20 miles to give myself a little extra boost. Um, didn't really probably need it, but it just kind of helps give me, pick up the spirits a little bit to have a little flavor with the water. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, that's, that's, that's how I roll these days. So I don't know. I don't know if that was interesting or not for everybody, but, uh, got, got the question. So we'll answer it. Hope that uh, makes sense to you, Cynthia. Next question comes from Sharon. She says, how many rest days do you recommend per week when training for a marathon? I've taken as many as three, but in my current training cycle, I'm down to one complete rest day every week, uh, which includes three to four runs, one or two strength training days, and one day for yoga. And is yoga something that you'd recommend on rest days? So, you know, when it comes to, to rest days, Sharon, and, and like total complete rest days versus re days where you're not running, but you're doing some other things, you know, it, you're, it, it really depends. 
Um, I personally like a one pretty good rest day. You know, Sundays is usually a day that I don't do a whole lot. I might do some work around the house, but I don't usually run, don't usually do yoga or bike or anything like that. Um, so Sunday is usually a pretty restful day for me. Um, you know, and then, and then I run five days a week and then on Wednesday I do biking and yoga usually, but no, no running. That seems to work for me. I feel pretty good when I do that. Um, you know, so if that type of schedule works for you, great. If you needed a couple extra rest days or whatever, that, that works too. I think that, that maybe sometimes, and, and maybe I'm guilty of this as well, of, of forgetting to mention this. So that's why I'm going to mention it here. I think that the bigger thing is instead of how many pure rest days do you have is how do you feel? How do you feel? How do you feel? Do you feel like you're rested? Do you feel like you're, you're energy? Do you feel like you're dragging all the time? And, and the key here is, you know, what's, what's your sleep look like? You know, maybe instead of looking at how many pure rest days do we have each, you know, during a training cycle, maybe the better question to ask, the better thing to look at, the better thing to focus on is the sleep we're getting at night. Um, because ultimately that's way more regenerative, restorative than having a day where you're still up and you're on your feet and you're, you're working or you're doing things around the house or whatever, but you're not running. Well, yeah, I mean, that's technically kind of a rest day, kind of a day you didn't run. But, you know, if you're only getting six hours of sleep every night, like you'd probably feel better having active recovery days or, you know, even maybe run streaking. I'm not that I'm going to encourage anybody to run streak, but, you know, if you're going to run streak and you're getting seven and a half, eight, eight and a half, nine hours of sleep a night, you're probably feeling fantastic because you're getting, you're getting plenty of rest every night. You're getting that restorative high quality sleep. So, um, you know, how many rest days do you recommend? One, two, three, whatever, zero. If you're looking at maybe not running every day, but having a day where you're doing more of an active recovery, you're doing some, some easy swimming or some easy biking or a good yoga routine or something like that. Um, I think that all those, all those options are great. I think the, the better thing to focus on, especially during a marathon training cycle, when your mileage is going to be pretty high, no matter how many days per week you're running, you're still going to end up with a decent chunk of mileage when you're getting into your 18 milers, 20 milers, plus mixing in a handful of, of other runs during the week. Make sure you're focused on your sleep as opposed to rest days. Do what you need to as far as rest days. One, two, three, whatever. But prioritize your sleep, and I think you'll get farther ahead than worrying about how many rest days is the right number. Um, you know, wh- whatever fits your schedule, that's the right number. But sleep is where it really matters. Cindy says, next question. What are some good runner books to self-diagnose common running injuries? Uh, my go-to is definitely... Uh, the Runner's Fix by my friend Mike Swinger, who's been on the show a couple times. Um, great book, pretty short, pretty sweet, pretty pretty easy to understand, which I think is the most important part. Um, but it goes from, I mean, every type of, of issue that you might be facing as a runner from your feet to your to your shoulders, to your head, to your neck, um, all kinds of things as far as how to, you know, signs and symptoms, ways to treat, ways to prevent. Uh, it's a slam dunk. And I was looking at it on, on Amazon today and there's a handful of five-star reviews and there's like this one three-star review and the three-star review is like, yeah, there's nothing new in this book. Well, yeah, there is nothing new in the book because the way to treat all these injuries is it really hasn't changed. The the, the kick, the, the key is making sure that, that you're communicating clearly how to treat these injuries, how to recognize the signs and symptoms, how to avoid them. And Mike's book is, is a slam dunk on that. So uh, the runner's fix. I've got a link in uh, the show notes today, dizruns.com slash seven, six, five. That uh, is an affiliate link. So it'll take you right there to Amazon. You can order it one click it. It'll show up to your house in a couple of days. Um, and I get a little kickback from that. So that you feel free to use that if you want. Otherwise just go into Amazon, type in the runner's fix. Um, 
It's it's a great book, a great resource. Very, very highly recommend it. Um, and if you're not hurting, not dealing with an injury right now, get the book anyway so that you can stay that way, right? You can start to implement some of the the, the tips and tricks that uh, Mike has, has uh, spelled out in the book. He's, he's a physical therapist, by the way. So he knows, he knows his stuff. He knows what he's talking about. Wrote a great book. Uh, I mean, I can't recommend it enough. Um, the Runner's Fix by Mike Swinger. But uh, hope that hope that helps, Andy. Hope you're feeling better soon if you are dealing with a little bit of an issue right now. Uh, next question comes from Neil. He says, I think I heard a PT say once that you need to be warm for stretching to have any benefit. Is that the case or can you stretch certain problem areas anytime throughout the day? So to answer those two questions, yes and yes. Now let me explain. Yes, you're going to have the most benefit when your muscles are warm because your muscles are, are kind of an elasticy, stretchy type of, of tissue. And just like anything that's elastic or rubber or whatever, you know, when it's warmed up, it kind of has a little bit more give to it. It's a little bit less brittle. If it's cold and you try to stretch, you know, some, something elastic, some t- type of rubber band, stick a rubber band in your freezer and then pull it out and see how, how stretchy it is. It's going to snap as soon as you put any tension on it at all. Your muscles aren't quite that, uh, you know, that fidgety to, to cold and, and, and a little bit of tension, tension, uh, tensile force upon it, but it's, it's, it's a good way to think about it. Right. And so, you know, if you, if you have your muscles warmed up at the end of a run, at the end of a workout, they're going to, they're going to give more, which is going to help you get a a deeper stretch. It's also going to be less likely that you're going to tweak something, pull something during your stretching. So it's a little bit safer. That said, can you stretch certain problem areas anytime throughout the day? Yeah, pretty much you can because, your muscles aren't just warm after you've gone out and run for an hour, you know, as long as you're, you're, I mean, if you, if you're, they're they're never like cold, you know, air quotes cold, uh, because we're warm blooded creatures. Right. But, um, you know, when you haven't moved for a while, like, yeah, it's good to, to loosen things up a little bit before you do much stretching, but that doesn't mean you have to go run for an hour. That doesn't mean you have to jump on the bike for an hour or a half an hour. It means like take the dog for a, a, a walk, you know, walk across the house, go up, you know, take something, run something upstairs to the bedroom or run something down to the basement or vice versa, downstairs to the bedroom or upstairs to the attic or whatever to go up and down a flight of stairs. And in that 30 seconds, like your, your, your muscles may not be as warm as they were at the end of, of an hour long run, but guess what? They're, they're warm enough. You, you've moved them around enough that you can stretch. Now you may not be able to stretch quite as deep. You might not be able to stretch quite as far. But if you've got a little a, a little area that's giving you some problems, you can certainly stretch it then. And and here's the real key when it comes to improving your flexibility, improving your range of motion by by stretching. Our bodies, the, the more frequently we stretch, the the better. The more the more the muscle is going to loosen up, lengthen out. So, you know, I've I've said this before that you know, one, whatever one. 45 minute stretching session where you're doing yoga and stretching, whatever one 45 minute yoga session per week is something I would argue that you'll get more bang for your buck by doing, you know, a bunch of three or four or five minute sessions that, that total up to, to 40, 45 minutes of, of stretching over the course of the week, but you're hitting it a little bit every day. So, you know, if you can hit that multiple times per day, if you can get one decent little stretch session in at the end of your run or at the end of your workout. But then, you know, after you've, after you've helped 
do the dishes or put the, the, the groceries away or taking the dog for the walk, like I said, or taking the laundry upstairs or whatever. After you've moved around a little bit throughout the house for literally a minute, two minutes, five minutes, get a little stretch there. Get a little stretch, you know, after, you, after you've done your run, you stretched, you took a shower, you got ready to go, get ready for work, do a little stretch there. Your muscles are still warm enough, okay? But you get that little bit of a stretch here, a little bit of a stretch there several times throughout the day. That's when you see some progress. That's when you see some gains in your flexibility. So yes, you can stretch throughout the day, pretty much any time. Now, if you've been sitting at the desk, sitting at the office for, for six hours without getting up, get up and walk to the bathroom first, get up and walk to the, to the water fountain, get up and walk to the copy machine. All right. But once you've gotten up and walked and, and come back, now you can move around a little bit, stretch your calf a little bit, stretch your quad, whatever, whatever's little stretches you can do discreetly that you're not going to get in trouble for at the office, whatever, but you can do those pretty much anytime throughout the day, you know, move a little bit beforehand is going to help you, but don't feel like you, you're only warm at the end of a workout because it's not not really the case. Um, just don't force your stretch. If you, if you, if you aren't real warmed up, you know, just a light little stretch, but a light little stretch repeated a bunch of times over the course of a week leads to some progress, leads to some progress. So hopefully that, that helps you, Neil, hopefully that helps you improve some of that range of motion that, uh, kind of sounds like maybe you're struggling with a little bit. Um, next two questions, both from Cynthia. First one, how many weeks before a half marathon do you taper your long runs and by how much this, this is really going to depend on the fitness level of, of the person and kind of what the fitness goals are and how the training has gone. But for me in general, or for me, the, the, most of the folks that I'm working with, if training has gone pretty well, according to plan, just one week. So two weeks before the half marathon, we're going to do a long run, you know, so maybe that's going to be 10 miles. Maybe it's going to be 15, 16 miles. Again, depends on the person, depends on the level of training, depends on what the goal is, but we're going to do our, our last pretty good long run the week before the marathon or two weeks before the marathon, then the week, or sorry, the half marathon. I know what I'm saying, but I know what I'm supposed to be saying, but the words aren't coming out. Like I said, I promise just coffee today. Promise just coffee today and water, of course. Cause you know, like I said, I had my, my 48 ounces of water and a handful of cups of coffee. Here we go. Um, but you know, two weeks before the, the half marathon, we're going to do our last long run. Then the week before, probably something in the neighborhood of six to eight miles, six to nine miles. Again, it depends on the person, depends on the level of fitness and the goals and things like that. Um, but somewhere, somewhere like that, kind of cutting it down a little bit in the middle. Um, and then that week between that last, not really long run and, and the race, we're going to pull back even farther, do a couple of, of easy runs. No, you know, no crazy workouts or anything like that. Just, just some easy runs, keep things loose a little bit, maybe a little bit of time on the spin bike to just kind of move the, move the legs around, break a little bit of a sweat, kind of burn off some nervous energy, maybe a little bit of yoga, whatever, a little bit of extra sleep, a little bit extra foam rolling, but just try to prime the pump so that everything is as good as possible, as rested, recovered, and ready to go on race day. Um, because that's what the taper is for is to make sure that you're rested, recovered, rejuvenated, you know, not, not to keep trying to make any more fitness gains at that point, the hay is in the, you know, the straw is in the barn, the hay is in the barn. Um, the fitness that you have is the fitness that you have. And so giving yourself two weeks from your last kind of real long run, um, before your, your half marathon is, is I think perfect. Now, some might argue that you need an, another week, a third, a third week. Uh, I don't know, uh, but, but I don't think that that's bad. I just don't think that's maybe necessary, but again, it depends on your level of fitness, how experienced you are, things like that, how the training has gone. Um, and if, if, you know, if it's a little bit new, a little bit worried, maybe you want to have an extra week of, of tapering in there. Um, just to be safe, just to make sure you're fully rested and recovered. So some things to think about, no, no clear cut answer, but that's kind of 
the the loose guideline that I tend to follow is is two weeks for really for even a marathon, but certainly for a half marathon, you know, last real long run two weeks before the race day. Uh, and then the next question from Cynthia, best workout to do Friday before your long run on Saturday. Don't do a workout on Friday before your, your last long run on Saturday. Now, before I, before we, we move on to this from this question, because it sounds like a pretty simple answer. I'm not saying you can't run before your, your Saturday long run. I'm just saying, don't do a workout. So maybe, maybe to you running and working out same, same type of thing. Um, I kind of think of, of a workout as, you know, like a proper speed workout, tempo workout, hill workout, something like that. Um, don't do that the day before your long run. You can still run on Friday, you know, a handful of miles, two, three, four, five miles. Again, depends on your fitness, depends on, on your experience, how your body's feeling. Um, but there's nothing wrong with a, with a few easy miles the day before shoot. I usually do three or four or five miles before my, my long run on, you know, I do my long runs on Saturday. I'm, I always run on Friday or pretty much always run on Friday. Um, you know, typically, like I said, somewhere three to five miles, something like that. Nice and easy, not pushing the pace at all. Um, that's fine. Now you're not going to see me do a workout. You know, not, you don't see me doing very many workouts anyway. Right. But, uh, if, if, if I'm going to do a workout, it's not going to be on Friday. It's going to be on probably like Tuesday so that I've got three full days between the workout and then the hard run to, or not the hard run, but then the long run to make sure that everything's recovered, ready to go. So, you know, on a Friday, do an easy run or do no run but don't do a proper workout. So, um, if you, if you just mean by best workout to do on a Friday, meaning best type of thing to do for a run, short and easy, short and easy, two, three, four miles, something like that. Uh, maybe longer if you're a bit more experienced and, 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 uh, you know, uh, you know, you're just well in tune with your body, but a couple miles a day before perfect. Everything's ready to go loosened up and then go, go long on Saturday. So hope that makes sense. Cynthia, I hope that helps as always. Um, next question coming from Karen. Uh, can you train for a marathon and still do heart rate training? Do you only do speed work once a month? I'm trying to figure out my training plan right now. Yeah, girl, you can, you can, I, I absolutely do, uh, you know, train for marathons, train for ultras, train for whatever with heart rate training, you know, heart rate training. It's not like only for certain types of, like if you're, you know, if, if you're hardcore into heart rate training, which I kind of feel like I am, I don't care what race I'm training for heart rate training is going to be effective. 5k heart rate training. You know, if, if I had goals of, of getting back to my peak, you know, sub 20 minute 5k times, I'd be doing exactly what I'm doing right now. Exactly what I'm doing right now. I wouldn't change a thing. In fact, I kind of have an itch to like run a hard 5k one of these days just to see what I can do. Cause I haven't, I haven't run a, a hard 5k in, I don't know, four years, something like that. It's been, it's been a minute and I don't, I don't miss it, but I'm kind of curious, you know, with, with what I've been doing heart rate training wise, how much I believe in it, how much I talk about it. Let's put the proof for in the, in the pudding, you know, let's, let's, let's see. So I might, I might jump in a 5k one of these days. I don't know when, and, and by say one of these days, I mean somewhere in the next eight months or 10 months, you know, something. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it, it doesn't matter. You know, you run easy, you do one or two hard workouts a month. That's I, I probably do one every six weeks, something like that. Now you might also consider a race as a hard workout. So maybe you jump into a 5k or you jump into a half marathon and run it hard. Well, that's, that's a speed workout. Now it's a higher intensity workout. Um, but you know, the, the, the rationale again, you know, going back, I've, I've talked about this a few times, but just to try to make it you know, clear another, another time. It's not like, you know, if you're trying to get faster at the marathon, you know, to answer your, your, at least to try to read into your question a little bit more here, Karen, if you're trying to get faster for a marathon, you're training up for a marathon and you're, you're trying to, to set a new PR or set a new time, you know, achieve a certain time goal for your marathon. Odds are you don't need to get faster 
right? Because, you know, say, say you're trying, and I don't know what your numbers, I don't know what exactly what your fitness is right now, Karen, but I'm just going to make up some numbers here. Say you're trying to break four hours for the marathon. You're trying to get to a four hour marathon again. Okay. That means you need to run whatever nine, nine Oh six pace, nine Oh seven pace, something like that. If that's your goal, I'm going to go out on a pretty safe limb and say that you can run a nine Oh six pace, right? You can probably run a seven minute flat pace. If you're doing some type of speed workout, you're probably faster than seven minute pace for quarter mile repeats or half mile repeats, right? You're probably running in the sixes, maybe, maybe right at seven, but still no question faster than the 906, 907 that you need to run to run a four hour marathon, right? So you don't need to get faster. What you need to be able to do is run 906 for 26.2 miles, not for the first 20. And then you fall off and fade to, to, to the finish line and end up at four, four ten. Right. So in order to do that, you don't need to run more quarter mile repeats. You don't need to run more Yasso 800s. You don't need to run more tempo, tempo runs at eight minute pace for four miles. Those workouts are all helpful. Those workouts are all beneficial, but none of those are going to help you to hold on to your endurance from miles 20 to 26 from hour three to hour four. That's where building up your aerobic fitness is so vital. That's where heart rate training comes in. So that's where running, running, you know, 15 miles at 1030 pace. That's actually going to help you hold on to your 906 pace more than running six by 400 meters at 630 pace. And I know that takes some, some wrapping your head around things to figure it out, but it's true. It's true. And I mean, you know, look at, look at my progression over the last 20 months. Um, and, and I'm not anything fancy. I'm not anything special, but just, you know, I mean, I've, I've probably done 10 proper speed workouts, maybe not even 10 proper speed workouts in the last 20 months. You know, I've done some races. I've done some fast finish long runs, which I think are, are still kind of, they're, they're still a workout. I don't know if they're proper speed workouts or not. You know, you run 15 miles easy and you're in the last four miles you know, just pushing the pace and it's not really that fast, but it's harder than you've been going. It's a higher effort. Um, you know, and I've, I'm doing nothing but trending in the right direction, getting faster, you know, feeling stronger, not fading at the end of, at the end of a marathon, you know, in the last, the last marathon I ran in, in January, the last one I, I, I proper raced, um, you know, I ran, I ran sub four hours for the first time and I never really slowed down. You know, I think my, my splits were pretty well, even, um, I was a little bit slower the second half than the first half, but by like a minute, like nothing crazy. Um, I felt good. I felt strong and I hadn't, I, I haven't run a training run at that pace. I don't know, in 20 months. So running, running 10 thirties, running nine forty fives, uh, running 11 minutes once in a while, helped me run an average of eight forty eight pace for that right? 850. I don't know, whatever it was, 848, 858, something like that. Uh, average pace for that 26.2 miles and felt strong the whole way. So, you know, yes, you can heart rate train for a marathon. Sorry to get back up on the soapbox of heart rate training again, but you cued me up, Karen. I had to do it. Um, it works. And the same thing, it works for half marathons, works for ultras, works for five K's, 10 K's, 30 K's, whatever it works outside of like hundred meters. If you're, if you're focused on the hundred meters, maybe I still think heart rate training is going to be beneficial, but it's not quite as, as valuable. But if you're running longer than that, which pretty sure most of us probably are, 
Heart rate training is going to be helpful. It's going to be helpful. It may not be the thing that you want to hit your wagon to like I have, but the principles are sound and you're going to want to probably do some, maybe some more 80, 20 than pure heart rate. I don't know, but run easy. Most of the time it's going to, it's going to work out for you. Um, next question, another heart rate related question, which, you know, whatever I, I, I'll take those all day. I'll take those all day. Uh, comes from Maya says, uh, is it normal for your heart rate to stay somewhat elevated during the latter half of a long run? I find it easier to keep it under control for the first half of my mileage, but then can't seem to keep it down as time goes on. Even if I'm keeping the same pace or getting a little slower, is it just because I'm on my feet for so long? So yeah, my, I mean, you, you pretty much got it. You know, you, you, you nailed it. Um, you know, when we're out and on a run for, for whatever, whether it's, you know, half an hour, an hour, two hours, four hours, whatever, you know, the longer you go, the more fatigued our our bodies get, right. The more fatigued our muscles get. Um, so, you know, even though the pace isn't picking up, your body has to keep working harder as it gets more fatigued to maintain the same pace. Right. So as your body's working harder, what happens? Your heart rate goes up. Um, so, so that's, that's like the first simple answer is just, yeah. I mean, the, the longer you go, it's, it's, it's biology, it's physiology. It's gonna, you, you can set your, your pace at a perfect, whatever, 10 minute, nine minute, 11 minute, 12, I don't care. Whatever the pace is nice and easy, flat, flat paces as in you're not, you're not, you're able to control your pace better than I can. Cause I, I suck at that. I'm, I'm up and down and up and down and up and down. But you know, if you set it nice and easy, maybe, maybe like on a treadmill, you set it right, right on the treadmill, nice and easy. You go for a mile or, you know, and your heart rate's nice and nice and steady at 120. Uh, you get to two miles and it's, it's, you know, same pace. Nothing's changed. You're up to 124 and then you, you go another mile and now it's up to 130. That's, that's not because you're, you're, you know, it's, uh, I mean, it is because you're getting fatigued, right? So your body's working harder to maintain the same pace. That's exactly what happens. A couple other factors that are also probably contributing to it. I have a, a theory and it's just a theory. So, you know, it might not, it might be completely misguided, but I feel like part of the reason that my heart rate really spikes and really I have a hard time keeping it down in the last mile or mile and a half is I think there's just a little bit of, of human, um, I don't know, from survival days, from Savannah days where it's like that, I just have to go that last little bit farther. You know, I get to certain points on my routes and I'm like, all right, especially for my long runs, right? I get to certain points. I'm like, all right, I'm just, just a mile back from, from the car and it's, it's all over. And all of a sudden my heart rate starts to, to go off. I haven't gotten any faster. I haven't, I haven't, I've actually probably slowed down like you're, like you're saying, but I think there's just that anticipation of like, it's almost over. And your body's like, right, let's get it over with. And so you, your, your heart rate starts to pick up to try to speed you along a little bit. I, I think there's something evolutionary there. I don't know for sure. Maybe I'm misguided. The other thing that I'm absolutely sure has a, a factor here, especially this time of year, this episode is, is August. So, you know, it's still summer for the most part. We're starting our runs probably in the dark, probably before the sun comes up, right? Especially our long runs. We're starting them at five o'clock four o'clock, six o'clock in the morning when it's still dark and probably as cool as it's going to be, at least as cool as it's going to be before we're, we're finished with our run. We're finishing our run at seven, eight, nine, ten o'clock. The sun's starting to come up. It's getting hotter. And yeah, you start getting hotter. Your body's working harder to cool itself because you're generating body heat. Of course, while you're running, body's trying to cool itself. The, the air temperature, the humidity isn't helping the matters any. So your body's working harder to send more blood to the surface to try to cool itself, which means there's less blood going to your legs to try to propel yourself. Your body's, your heart starts beating harder. Heart rate goes up. So, you know, I think there's a, a few factors probably at play, but you know, the most simple one, 
yeah, the longer you go, the higher your heart rate's going to go. It's just, it's just simple biology. Simple biology, totally normal, nothing to worry about there at all. Next question. I don't even know if we're halfway through yet. I don't think we probably are, but here we go. We're just going to keep keep pounding. Um, we're already at 40, 48, 49 minutes. Goodness gracious, it's going to be a, a marathon of an episode, but we knew that. I already told you that was going to be the case. It's just proven to be the case. Here we go. Another question from Sharon. She says, I always thought, quote unquote, cross training meant any physical activity that wasn't running, like anything, yoga, weights, swimming, cycling, walking, CrossFit, et cetera. In last month's Q&A, I got the impression that it has to be something aerobic, like swimming, but not weight training as an example. So is strength training, is, is, is one strength training day and one aerobic activity like walking or spinning better than two strength training days? Uh, as you know, I overthink everything, LOL. So Sharon, um, I, I'm probably guilty of muddying the waters on this because I'm pretty sure that I used to pretty much say that anything that was anything that kind of like you said there, any activity that wasn't running counted as cross training. Um, and to a certain extent, that's, that's somewhat true. I've, I've certainly changed my tune now and, and basically at the point where cross training is aerobic activity, strength training, strength training, yoga is yoga. All right. I think all of them are beneficial. All of them are valuable. All of them are things that we should probably be doing on a regular basis, but they're all different enough that I think to try to lump them all under one umbrella is probably not the best. It probably leads to more confusion than it clears up, which is why I've gotten away from that. But I don't think I'm the only one that would classify everything kind of like that as cross-training. Um, I'm certainly not the only one that would, would break them up as well. Um, I don't think it, it really matters as much, you know, as far as how you want to classify it. I think that what matters is that you're getting a little bit of a mix of different activities. So, you know, you might do, if you, if you have two non-running days per week that are still, you're still being active, you know, kind of going back to your, your previous question, um, you might do strength training on two of those days, one week. Another week, you might be feeling a little bit more worn down. You're like, I'll just do strength training one day. I'll do some spike, some cycling, or I'll do some yoga. You know, as long as you're kind of mixing them up a little bit, making sure you're, you're hitting, hitting some different areas, hitting some different body parts, hitting some things, some different, different ways as far as cross training, strengthening, flexibility, mobility with the yoga. Uh, and then obviously you're running as well. You're going to be fine. So, um, I guess what I'm trying to tell you is to not overthink it, even though I, I, you know, know that that's probably not the easiest pill for you to swallow. Um, but as long as you're mixing things up a little bit, you're okay. You're okay. But variety is a spice of life. Variety is a spice of life on the, on the dinner table. Variety is a spice of life when it comes to your fitness as well. So, you know, running is you running, running heavy, you know, is, as far as like, that's the, the bulk of your fitness work. That's awesome. I mean, that's, that's me. That's probably all of us. Right. But we don't want to be running exclusive, but we also don't want to be just running and strength training. Cause now we get, we might get tightness and we might get some lack of range of motion, which could cause us some problems. So you want to get some stretching and, and mobility work in. You know, you don't want to be just running and cycling because strength, strength balances, uh, and strength imbalances can incur. So it's good to get some strength training. It's good to be, be strong. It's good just for life, but certainly for running as well. So just mix it up a little bit, get some, some of that variety, whether that's a a strict, like I do these things on these days or whether it kind of, you know, kind of the grab bag approach where, you know, Tuesday and Thursday are kind of my, my variable days. So some days it's strength, some days it's yoga, some days it's, it's cycling. Some days it's a little bit of both, whatever. Um, but just mixing them up is, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. So I hope that that, I hope that helps. I hope that doesn't paralyze you with all the options that you have there. Um, Sharon and, and, and just make sure you, you continue to mix it up and hopefully, uh, everything will be good. Next question comes from Tom. What is the difference between compression shorts and running tights? Are tights better than shorts? Um, honestly, the, the, the difference is is that um, 
and this is going to sound ridiculous, but the difference is that compression gear, compression shorts, compression tights offer compression. Running tights typically probably don't. So the running tights are still going to be tight, right? They're still going to pretty much hug your, hug your legs, hug your body, um, not leave a whole lot to the imagination, but they're not like proper compression. They're not, they're not providing, you know, they, they kind of graduated compression. That a lot of compression gear does where it's a little bit tighter, low. So it's tighter at the toes, tighter at the ankles. And it's the, the compression kind of lessens up a little bit as you go up the body. Cause the idea is to push the blood back up to help the, the blood return to the heart is what compression gear is, is good for. Um, so your compression gear, you're going to get a little more of that tights are going to be kind of uniformly tight ish, but not really compressing, not really offering much compression benefit. Um, so, so tights are typically more for like um, either to, you know, just an extra buffer layer to keep yourself warm in like the winter months, um, or a protective layer to like prevent chafing and rubbing versus compression gear can, can do those things as well. Compression gear can do both, I guess, but compression also you get the, the recovery benefits of compression. And remember compression gear, there's no real physiological benefits. There's no benefit to wearing it during your run. There's no detriment to wearing it during your run. But, uh, you know, if, if you're just looking for something to help with, um, rubbing, chafing, things like that, thighs or, or whatever, or just gear that rubs on you. Um, just go with compression tights. Cause they're, or the, I'm sorry, the, the running tights, they're probably cheaper, but if you're looking for something that kind of does a little bit, does a little bit of both helps with recovery and helps with the, the rub, then, then yeah, compression gear, compression tights, compression shorts. Um, that'll work for you. So hopefully that makes sense, Tom. The difference is just how much compression it is. Compression is going to have a lot. Tights may have some, they may also be not very much at all. It kind of, you know, there's no there's not as much of a uniform standard there. Um, so, you know, that's, that's kind of the difference. Brian says how, or asks, I guess, how bad of an idea is it to run a 5k, 10k marathon series, uh, three weeks after running a 50k? Is there a much greater risk for injury when running multiple races close together? Even if one is not racing them, i.e. like the S and G marathon type of situation that I tend to do. Um, at least I think that it's a, you're talking about a series, Brian. If I, if I missed the boat, I apologize, but, um, I don't necessarily think it's a terrible idea. I think that, that you have to go into that situation, both the 50 K and the three races, three weeks later with the, with the understanding that those probably aren't going to be the best, you know, 5k, 10k marathons that you've ever run. But I don't think it would, you, I mean, if you're running 5k, 10k marathon on back-to-back days, or, you know, maybe the 5k, 10k one day, the marathon the next day, I'm imagining you're probably not planning to just kill it in all three races anyway. Right. Because that's, that's not a very good recipe to, 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 you know, to run hard that many times in a row in such a short window, you're going to be fatigued, you know, just throw the injury risk out aside, which is a very real risk, but just from a performance benefit, you know, you're not going to do a hard, hard races like that and expect that they're going to be just, you're going to be strong and stronger in all of them. So, you know, I don't think it's a terrible idea. I think that the, the, the trick is to go into it with the right expectations. So you run the 50 K and the, the, the three weeks between the 50 K and the other races, the, the, the mentality is it's all about recovery. So you're going to take whatever the first five, eight, 10 days off after the 50 K to just let your legs recover, you know, at least pain-free plus three, maybe even more than that. Maybe you go pain-free plus like six or something like that. I don't know, but you know, recovery is, is the priority there uh, because the fitness is obviously strong. You know, you just ran a 50 K three weeks later, you'll be okay to run a marathon and a five K 10 K the day before you'll, you'll be okay. Especially cause you're not hammering them, right? You're just, you're running them for, for fun. You're not really racing them. Um, then, you know, once the legs feel good, once the legs feel recovered, you start running again, but you keep it easy. You keep it short. Can't, basically you're just kind of tapering. You're, 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 I mean, 
I know you're not necessarily tapering, but like you kind of have taper mentality in this, in this three weeks between your, your races. Um, and just kind of keep things easy. Listen to the body. Don't, don't force a run. Uh, if something doesn't seem right, cut it off, cut it short. Don't force it. Um, you know, a little extra time foam rolling, a little extra sleep recovery stuff. Um, and then when the races come about, you know, then, then you kind of take inventory at each race, the, uh, the 5k, 10k marathon, you know, how, how am I feeling? Everything feels good. Well, you can probably push the pace a little bit. Again, you're probably not going to run them all out because, well, because you got another race either the next hour or the next day, but you can push it a little bit. If, if legs are still kind of heavy, still kind of not all there, then just, you know, just cruise along, have fun, enjoy yourself. Fitness shouldn't be a problem. And if you recover well enough, it shouldn't, it shouldn't be any greater risk of injury than it is when you would just do something like that. Anyway, if you were quote unquote, just doing that series of races over the course of a weekend. So, um, you know, it's, it's all about just being smart and going in with the right expectations of like, I'm not trying to kill every one of these races because that is where the odds of an injury go, go way up. So be smart there and you'll be fine. Have name of the game, have fun. As long as you're having fun, um, you know, the, the pace doesn't worry. You're not as worried as much. You're good to go. Um, before we dive into the next question, thank you for that question there, Brian. Uh, just want to take a second and, and plug knuckle lights. Once again, uh, knuckle I mean, I, I'm not a big headlight headlamp fan. I'll admit it. You know, and it's, it's, it's not because knuckle lights is a sponsor and some headlamp company isn't the sponsor. Like it's just, they're just not comfortable to me. I, I, I mean, I, I'll wear one once in a while if I have to, uh, if, if I forgot to charge my knuckle lights, basically it's the only time that's the case And the knuckle light battery, they're pretty legit. So I don't have to, I don't have to worry about that very often. Uh, but every so often maybe, but typically nope, just knuckle lights. That's all I need. Great. No matter how dark it is out on a trail, out in a barren desert, you know, not desert, but a desolate road. Um, you're good to go. You're good to go. You don't, you don't need anything extra. I usually just use one light to be honest. I, you know, they come in a set of two. One is all I need. Um, you know, but you could have both of them. You have double fist, your knuckle lights, you'll be good to go. You, it'd be like, you almost need your sunglasses if you double fist and your, your knuckle lights. Um, but, uh, super comfortable, easy to, you know, still carry a dog leash, still carry a water bottle, still carry your phone, whatever you're, you're like, they don't interfere with your hands and your ability to hold things at all. So if, if you're like, gosh, I, I really would like a light, but I don't really want the, the headlamp thing. And I uh, carrying a flashlight, like, no, you need knuckle lights that simple knucklelights.com. Let them know you heard about it here. Um, uh, but you will not regret it. At least I haven't heard anybody. I, I don't know if you, if you've gotten knuckle lights because I recommended them and you don't like them, let me know. Uh, I, I would love to hear it. Um, but I haven't heard any, I've heard a lot of people say, yes, they're great. Yes. I love them. Uh, so I would encourage you to check them out. Knucklelights.com. So the next question comes from Jackie. I don't know what we still got 10, 10 questions. Goodness gracious. We still got a bunch of questions, but here we go. Next question comes from Jackie. Uh, I run up hills by effort, not pace in training and on race day. What about downhill? More than just a gradual hill for training, 5K, half marathon, et cetera. How should I attack that, the downhill? Um, I think if you can practice, I, I think you should do the same thing is the moral of the story. Run by effort, not by pace. Um, that takes some practice though, because a lot of people are kind of a, a little bit of afraid, a little bit intimidated, a little bit hesitant to run downhill. Um, and I don't know if that's you or not, Jackie, but I know a lot of people are. So the, the thing that I always recommend is to practice running downhill get on, get on some of those hills and just try to run down at a, at a pretty decent clip, get comfortable, get comfortable leaning forward. You might feel like you're going to go asses over elbows, but most of the time you're not, unless you're really out of control, you're not going to, what, what's going to happen is your feet are going to keep up with you. Your feet are going to stay underneath you. You're going to, you're going to, your, your stride is going to end up being much longer because of the downhill, but you just try to keep running. And, and the, the strategy I've heard before is to try to run, run like you're running straight, even though you're running downhill, that's going to take your stride a little bit longer. But what happens is is once you get comfortable with it, once you stop trying to fight the downhill, you can just relax, run at the same level of effort, 
and you're going to see your pace improve by two minutes a mile, three minutes a mile, four minutes a mile on the downhill. And you're not going to be working hard at all. In fact, I usually feel like I'm recovering on the downhill, even though my pace is dramatically faster than it would be if I was running at, at even a, a higher intensity, more effort on a flat. So, you know, as soon as you get comfortable running downhill, oh, it's a game changer. It is a game changer and it is glorious. So practice it, practice. And, and, and again, just like you do on the uphill, don't worry about the pace, worry about the effort. And as long as the effort isn't exceeding the effort that you want it to be, your pace is going to be, it's going to surprise you when you look back at the stats and be like, damn, that was fast. Yeah. That's, that's the power of gravity, baby. You know, use that gravity in your advantage once you learn how to harness it. And that just means getting comfortable, not fighting the downhill. It's a game changer, absolute game changer. So, uh, thank you for that question, Jackie. Hope that helps. Now we got the, uh, the melody trifecta here. First question for melody. How is the new book going? Making any progress? Eh. You know, I mean, I'm making progress as in like it started. Uh, it's not going, it's not going great. Uh, it's been slow going. It's, it's, it's a priority, but it's not like the priority. Uh, so I've been working on some other things, working on, on getting some, some swag and some gear together, um, working on some getting YouTube fired up again. Um, you know, working on, working on a few things. So, uh, the goal for the, this quarter, which ends at the end of September is to have 15,000 words written. Um, I think at this point at the end of August, I'm at about 3,500. So I'm a little bit behind pace. Um, I think I have a chance in September to make up some ground. Hopefully I'll have a chance to make up some ground. Will I get to 15 K? I don't know. Ask next month and we'll, we'll see. Um, but, uh, marathons and metaphors is coming along slowly. Um, uh, but I'm trying to, trying to do this book right instead of rushing the process. So it's going to take, going to take a little longer than I think I mentioned when I first kind of made that announcement. Um, but hopefully it'll prove to be very much well worth the wait. So, uh, it has started though construction of the new book has started still a ways out though. Uh, next question from Melody. Just curious. Do you occasionally check the Garmin data of your clients? Yes, of course I do. I'm not going to pretend like I check it every day. I'm not going to pretend like I check every time I check in, I check every single person's data. Um, but do I check everybody's data at least somewhat regularly? Yeah. Yeah, I definitely do. Um, I don't very often comment on the data as you, as you probably, that's probably why you're questioning. Cause like, Hey, you've never really commented on my, yeah, I, I don't comment on it. I comment you know, where we go commenting back and forth. Um, but I check it. I definitely check it some more than others. Kind of depends on how much feedback I get. You know, the more feedback I get, the probably the less often I check the data cause I'm getting the feedback from the individual. Um, but yeah, I check, I definitely check data, um, more than occasionally, more than occasionally. Um, last question from Mel- at least last question this time from Melody. Uh, if it meant you would get more donations for your leukemia and lymphoma society charity, would you run a race in a costume? I might be willing to throw more bucks your way if so, especially since we didn't get you to torch you on the treadmill marathons. Yes, I do. I'm not upset that I haven't had to do more than one treadmill marathon. That was, that was miserable. Um, and I would, I'm not going to say firm. No, that I would do a racing costume. So they're not going to say yes. I'm going to say I would probably do that before I would offer up another marathon, uh, treadmill marathon. Um, but I have, I have no real desire to do a marathon or do any type of racing costume, uh, just from the chafe, just from the comfort, just from, it's kind of not really my thing. Like, I don't really like to stand out. Like I'm more of a low key, like, let me just kind of blend in type of situation. Uh, and I feel like when you're wearing a costume, you're kind of saying, Hey, look at me, look at me. Um, no, maybe that's not every, maybe that's not people's, maybe it's just people fun for some people. To me, it's kind of like a saying, Hey, look at me. And I, I don't, I don't want people to look at me. Uh, I just want to, I want to do my thing and run my race 
and not have to worry about a headpiece or breathing issues or overheating or rubbing or any of that type of stuff. So if, if the price was right, maybe, but the price would be something that we probably would have, I would have been doing more treadmill marathons, uh, you know, if, if the price was reached beforehand. And, and so, uh, so yeah, probably, probably not going to do any, any, uh, costumed races anytime soon, but you know, I'm not going to say never because the Lord knows I've made that mistake before. And, uh, yeah, we're not going to, not going to go down that route again, but thank you for the questions. Melody. Next question comes from Glenn. Uh, there is a cardiologist claiming that you shouldn't run more than one hour a day and only five days a week. Any, um, any more he says can, can, uh, cause calcium buildup in your arteries and also that we are not born to run long distances. Lol. Uh, just wondering what your thought on that was. Don't know if this has been asked before. So my, my first instinct, obviously probably the same thing as everybody else. Like that's ridiculous. Like, you know, the, the whole, like, even if it is, even if it is somewhat true, like I'll take my chances with having heart issues from running too much versus from being sedentary. Right. Like, like I'll take my chances on that. Like, you know, if, if my heart explodes while I'm in the middle of a run, you know, tell my wife, I love her. Uh, hopefully I'll, I'll have told her that beforehand. Right. Um, I know it's going to suck. Like it's not, it's not fun, but like, Hey, I'm going out doing something I enjoy, right. Better than going out on some, you know, life support because my heart wasn't working because I hadn't been doing anything. Right. Like that's, that's my first impulse. However, I have seen some things, especially and it talks about in primal endurance a little bit. Um, and I don't, I'm not claiming to be the expert on this, but there is some link. There is some truth to what the guy is saying that if you're running too hard, too much, too, too often, putting too much stress on your heart from the, the level of intensity and volume of your activity, that it does cause some issues. I don't know if it's calcium, but I don't know exactly what it is, but it does cause damage to the heart tissue. Running easy doesn't cause that as much, at least according to studies and the primal endurance stuff and whatnot, whatever. I, I'm not an expert on that. I haven't studied it. I haven't researched it. It's just what I read. So apparently there is a little grain of truth. I don't know. I don't, th- th- not born to run long distance. That seems ridiculous. I don't feel like, like, I feel like that's exactly what we were born to do. I feel like that's exactly what our, our species has, has been able to do and why we're, why we're still here. You know, why, why we made it from, from the, the trees and the savannah and the garden and, and whatever you believe. Like the reason we're able to still be here today in, in 2019 is because our bodies are made to cover long distances. So I, I that part I, I would really disagree with, but the heart bit, I mean, I think there's some truth there. Um, I, and I'm not saying that you just have to be, you know, if you go anything above your heart rate maximum, you're causing damage to your heart. I don't believe that at all. I don't believe that at all. Um, I, I, I think that kind of the, the level where you'd have to be to, if assuming there is no underlying undiagnosed conditions, if you just had a, a normal, totally healthy heart, totally heart, healthy cardiac muscle, this is me speculating. So don't, you know, if I'm wrong on this, don't come at me with your pitchforks and your, and your, you know, torches and stuff. But my, my estimation if your heart's totally healthy the level and the intensity and the amount the volume of high intensity running you would have to do to really cause some serious long-lasting permanent heart issues other than like the elite of the elite the most totally driven folks that are just hammering it every day i don't think we'd get there i don't think we'd get there um you know i i I just I don't know. I guess I default back to the, you know, if that's what gets you, then that's what gets you. But I'd rather take my chance with that than, than not 
being active and dying because of, of sedentary lifestyle. Just like the people that say your running is going to be terrible for your knee. You're going to, you're going to hate the fact that you're running so much 25 years from now. Well, if that's the case, that's fine. But you know what else is terrible for your knees? And there's no question about that. You know, living an inactive lifestyle, being dramatically overweight and the, the, the force that that causes. So, you know, I'll take my chances running. I'll take my chances on being active, moving my body and being healthy that way. And you know, if that ruins my knees, if it ruins my, my heart, if it ruins my hips somewhere along the way, Hey, you know, that's, that's, I'll take my chances with that because I feel like the odds are better in my favor for being active and being healthy than being inactive, sedentary, not, not, not exercising because of what might happen and seeing where that road road leads, if you know what I'm saying. So, um, I pretty much dismiss it, Glenn, but I do think there's a little kernel of truth there. I just don't think that that's something that we should worry about enough. Like to, to just come out and say, you shouldn't run. Eh, come on, man. Come on, man. And even then he's saying you shouldn't go more than an hour a day. So I don't know. I mean, I don't know how many of us go, you know, two, three, four hours a day. I'm sure some people do, but I don't. I mean, most of my days it's, you know, 45 minutes to an hour and then one long run. Well, okay, whatever. That's not an hour a day. You know, it's, it's not even an hour a day if you average out over the course of the week. So I think I'm good on most cases. So I'll take my chances with cardiac issues uh, because I run too much and I promise you I'll sleep good at night, not worrying about what the, what the result of that, all that running might be on my heart, on my knees, on whatever. I'll, I'll take my chances. Um, but, uh, thank you Glenn for the question. Hope that, hope that answer made a little bit of sense and didn't, uh, didn't come at it from the wrong angle. Cause I hope that I, I don't, I didn't want to try to, uh, but just, you know, it's just a little bit ridiculous. I think, um, next question. Another one from Jackie says, uh, can I ask two questions? The second one is are pop tarts a thing? So I guess this is, can I ask two questions? Cause you already asked one earlier. Of course you can ask two questions. Are pop tarts a thing? I mean, I, I guess I, they are a thing. You go to the grocery store, you see them. Um, they're not a thing that I can ever envision having a use for, for the rest of my life. Um, if you like them, I mean, I guess, you know, if you like processed fake food, then yeah. Okay. Bon appetit. Um, I have no use for them, but you know, I'm, I'm a little bit of a snobby about, about my diet sometimes as you, as you heard when I got into my question earlier from Cynthia about uh, what my normal food day is like. Um, yeah, let, let's just say pop tarts aren't on my, uh, my daily food choices, my weekly, my monthly, my yearly. Uh, I've had pop tarts in the past. Cinnamon and brown sugar were my go-to. Um, but it's probably been 10 years, 12 years since I've had a pop tart and I don't miss them. I don't miss them. So, you know, Whatever, whatever, whether that's a yes or no, our pop tarts a thing. That's, that's my answer. I don't, I don't, I don't even, I don't care anymore. I don't, I don't know. I don't care. No worries. Um, but thank you, uh, Jackie for that question. Uh, whew, handful more, but I, I can see the finish line. I can see the finish line. Another one from Melody at any point is running fatigued ever beneficial during the training process. For example, can it help you to learn how to continue running towards the end of a marathon when you're probably going to be pretty tired or even when you're running all out for a 5k? She says, I was reading a debate about this. It was suggested that you can't teach a runner to run fast when tired and doing fast 200s after a tempo run is useless or even training someone to do a fast finish as it's not organic to the actual race day process. So, um, I think that that argument, that debate is missing the forest for the trees, Melody, because yes, I think that there's benefit to running fatigued. I, I mean, that's what we do, right? That, like that's the, the entire, from what I understand about the Hanson's marathon training method, the Hanson's method. Their, their method is built entirely on running fatigued. Most ultra running plans are built on the idea of running fatigued, doing you know back to back long runs. So the second day, you're getting that experience of running on tired legs, and that's that's what it's all about. So yeah, there's benefit to it. 
if I'm if I'm reading between the lines a little bit of of the example of the debate, I would say that maybe it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to do you know do some sprint repeats at the end of a at the end of a run because you know again at the end of a marathon you're not like running like 200 meters you know you're not like doing an all out sprint like you're just trying to slog to stay for, to keep going with the forward motion right um, so doing like proper speed work at the end of a at the end of a long run or at the end of a um, you know a workout or at the end of just an easy run is probably not the best way to prepare for what you'll actually experience on race day but getting time on your feet getting out there for long runs doing some back to back runs doing doing a uh, a longish a longish run one day and then a long run the next day so that you're kind of fatigued from the be- from the get go yeah i mean there's there's I, I i can't understand a mindset where that wouldn't be valuable where that wouldn't be helpful on race day um is a fast finish valuable I think so. I like it. I think it's a good, good workout. I understand though, the, the argument that you're not like at the end of, you know, if you're doing 15 miles with a, with a four mile fast finish, you're doing 11 miles, easy four or five miles hard. I mean, that's not exactly accurate to, um, you know, running a, a marathon, but I think it's closer than doing a tempo run followed up by some, some short, hard repeats. I think there's value in training on tired legs. I think there's value in, I mean, that's how you build your endurance. That's how you get stronger. That's how you build your mental game that I can do this. So yeah, I think there's benefits to it. I think it's, you know, kind of comes down to being smart, comes down to a little bit of common sense. And like I said, I think, I think maybe the debate from, from not seeing the full debate, but from hearing your, your little description of it, I think it's losing the forest for the trees. And that's, that's where it's like, we're splitting hairs. But, and why? Like we're all on the same team on this. Why are, why are we arguing over something that's kind of, kind of ridiculous? Like, yes, there's value to it, but be smart. It's not about doing hard. It's about getting the time on your feet that is going to pay off at the end of a marathon, ultra half marathon, even at the end of your 5k, when you're, when you're just gassed, you're not, you're not going 200 meter repeat pace there. It's like, you're just trying to hold on to whatever pace you've had to get to cross the finish line. So, um, yes, there's value to it, but you know, maybe some of the ways we, we implement it maybe aren't, aren't the most organic or they aren't the most natural. So then you could make, then you could make a strong argument that maybe it's not as beneficial as we think it is. So, you know, there's, there's a, there's a, a little bit of, of merit to both decisions, but overall, yeah, I think, I think for, for endurance athletes, which all of us are, Training on tired legs, like there's there's some benefit there for sure. Brooke asks, I know typically we run our longest run and taper two weeks before a marathon. I'll be out of town uh, at that you know for that that weekend. When uh, uh, sorry, here we go. I will be out of town when I should be doing my long runs before the race. Would about three weeks of taper mess me up on race day? I don't want to lose any fitness before the race. And uh, she says, you know, just adding that uh, my longest run uh, when, when she's out of town will be on a mission trip. So it's not kind of a type of place where uh, there's going to be treadmills or feel safe doing a run, things like that. So you know, kind of don't have an option of just doing it while, while on travel. Um, yeah, Brooke, I mean, there's no issue with doing it three weeks out. No issue at all. Um, you know, you're not going to lose that much fitness. Um, you know, especially, you know, when you're, when you're on the mission trip, I'm going to imagine that you're probably gonna be moving around, walking some, maybe doing some, some type of, of physical activities, wherever you are, uh, you know, doing the mission stuff. So, you know, you're still gonna be moving. So it's not like you're gonna be just setting sedentary, doing nothing. So you're gonna, you're gonna hold on to a fair bit of fitness there. And then, you know, when you get back, we, you know, you're still gonna have 10 days ish. I don't know exactly what the schedule is, but, um, you know, a week, 10 days, you mix a couple little runs in there, nothing crazy. You'll be good to go. 
You'll be good to go. You get that get that good long run in three weeks beforehand. General life activity, a couple of runs here and there. Uh, in the in the in the meantime, between that last long run and race day, you'll be fine. You'll be fine. You're not going to lose all your fitness. I promise. Um, and you're going to be hopefully well rested and recovered. That's that's the goal of taper anyway. So you'll be you'll be good. You'll be good. Um, one, two, three, four more questions. Next one from Chris. Uh, I've seen some runners wear a weight vest. What would be the point of that? There is no point to that, Chris. It's it's foolish. It's it's silly. Uh, for those of you that do it. I understand the reason, like, uh, here's the, the, the reasoning as far as I understand it. It's, you know, adding more resistance, making it, making your body work a little bit harder, um, by adding some, some weight to your body. All right. Maybe you're going to get a little bit stronger or, you know, it's going to be, help you feel like you're going to be faster when you take the weight vest off because you don't have that extra, extra weight weighing you down. I understand that, that logic, but it, it fails because what you're doing is you're overloading your body. Not so much that you're overloading from the, the cardiovascular system point of view, you're overloading the pounding, the force production that each step takes when you're wearing a weighted vest while you're running, your body's not used to carrying that, you know, that additional weight around. And now all of a sudden, you know, when you run, you're adding two, three, four, five times the amount of, of force impact force on your body, as opposed to when you're just walking. And so you're already ramping that up just from running. Now you add 10, 15, 20 pounds of, of weight vest on the, on the equ- equation, you're asking for an injury. So what is the point of wearing a weight vest while you're running? There is no point. It is pointless. It's foolish. All right. And if you do that, I'm sorry. I'm not, I'm not, uh, not hating you, but I'm telling you that it's, it's not a good practice. Stop doing it. Stop doing it. If you want to do weight training, you want to do strength training, do strength training, do weight training. Don't wear a weighted vest when you're running. Goodness gracious. You're just, you're asking for a stress fracture. You're asking for shin splints, plantar fascia. You're asking for trouble. Stop. Take the weight vest off. Leave it home. Use it for doing some body weight exercises or things like that. Some strength training exercise. Use it for what it's for. Strength training, not for run. Oh my goodness. No, 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 no. Next question comes from Julie. Uh, it says, what are people's best tips to make themselves take a rest from running? I can't be the only one here who prefers to run over other activities. So she says, personally, I wash my shoes after a really long run or heavy mileage week. So I can't do the familiar. Oh, I'll just go out for a couple of miles because my shoes are wet. I have to sit here and stop, you know, let my shoes dry out. Um, Julie, I've honestly, I've never thought of this before. Never thought of this before. Um, you know, if, if I'm going to not run, if I'm taking a couple days off, I just take a couple days off. Like I just don't, I just don't go out. There. Like, yes, I might want to. But, you know, I, I, as I've talked about before, sometimes I just take a little break and I say, I will not run until pick a day on the calendar. And then I just hold myself to it. I might jump on the bike, might do some yoga, might do something else physical. But if I say I'm not going to run until such and such a day, I don't run until such and such a day. Um, I, I have no idea what would be a, an option. I mean, I, I guess I like your option of just soak your shoes so you can't go out there. The problem is most of us, certainly myself, I got so many damn pairs of shoes that if I had one pair that's all wet, that's fine. I got six other choices, like whatever, moving on next pair. Like let, let's go. Um, so yeah, I, I, I legitimately can't think of anything that I would do to, to keep myself from going for a run other than just saying, Hey, I'm not running for a couple days and then I might be miserable, but like, I'm not going to run until Tuesday. I'm not going to run until Tuesday, you know? Um, so I'm, I'm sorry, but I don't have, I don't have any suggestions for you. If anybody else does chime in, uh, you hit, hit, hit the, uh, the show notes, this ones.com slash seven, six, five, and give a suggestion to Julie, um, or jump into the, uh, the Facebook group and go back and find the, uh, the, the post, the thread, and you can go reply to her comment. Cause I got, I got nothing for you, Julie. I got nothing on that one. Uh, Mr. Short chimes in with his, his question for this month. Um, 
uh, the numerous toilets aside, what is the oddest thing you've seen out on a run? So for those of you that don't uh, follow me on Instagram, you may not be aware, but uh, I tend to, to look for you know, be on the lookout, be on, on the observation front when I'm out for my, my typical runs here during the, you know, during the week in the neighborhood. And uh, I don't know what it is about my neighborhood, but in the last two months, three months, I've seen more toilets on the side of the road. Uh, you know, people redoing their bathrooms, I'm, I'm assuming, um, than I, I would, than I've probably seen ever in my entire life until these last three months or whatever it's been. It's been ridiculous. And so I've maybe posted a few pictures on Instagram about that. Um, but outside of those, what's the craziest thing? So here's, here's something I saw a, a week or so ago that just kind of blew my mind. And like, I had to like, I, like I ran past it and then I stopped and went back and took a picture of it to, again, to post on Instagram because that's, you know, it's 2019. That's what we do. Um, there was a, you know, you, if you've watched sporting events in the last two or three years, you've seen like kind of the, the, the signs where they take like somebody's head or a, a, a scene from a, a TV show or something and, you know, create a, a pretty big kind of sign posted onto a, some type of, um, you know, like a, like a broomstick or something like this, some type of broom handle. And they have this, like this big, big sign. Right. And so, uh, a couple of weeks ago I was out for my run. It was, it happened to be garbage day here in the neighborhood. People had already put their, their trash out the night before I was out running, looping around the, the end of the cul-de-sac. And I see this like candy cane striped, um, post leaning against the light pole with a little, you know, with probably, a I don't know, uh, nine by 13 or, or maybe 10 by 10 by 12, something, something, you know, a, a decent size, not huge, but a decent size rectangle, maybe a bit longer, bigger than that, but whatever, a decent rectangular size, something on the bottom of it. And so I'm running by and I happen to look down and it's like a, a, a screenshot, a screen capture, uh, of one of the, uh, the drag Queens from RuPaul's drag race. Not that I knew that at the, I was pretty sure that's what it was at the time, but I got clarification after I posted on Instagram that that's, that, that is exactly what it was. I ran past it. I was like, what, what, what did I, I what did I just, I, I, I don't know what I just saw. Ah, but I haven't taken a picture for today yet. I need to go get that and take a picture. So I went back, drug the dog back with me. She wasn't, she was like, why are we going backwards? I don't understand. We went back, picked up the sign, held it up next to my, next to me and took like a little selfie with the picture. I'll post it in the show notes. Sizzruns.com slash seven, six, five. If you want to, uh, to check it out. Um, but that's been the, the, probably the, the, the craziest, uh, oddest, most random thing I've seen. I've seen some random things. Um, there is, there is a house apparently in town. I ran by it once that has like a, a tree stump out front and they've like decorate, decorated it with like little dwarf figurines and, and a little, like made like a little village out of this tree stump. Like this is the, the dwarfs tree house. That was pretty odd. That was pretty odd. Um, just because of the, the effort and the resource that went into it, I, I don't understand, but whatever, you know, to each their own. Uh, so those are a couple things, uh, but the toilets, the toilets are, are pretty random as well. Uh, but last question, finally, last question. We're closing in on an, oof, closing in on an hour and a half. We're going to get done before an hour and a half, but we're going to be bloody close. Uh, Chantel asks, I'm running my first 50 K in two weeks. How do I keep my cardio fitness for next season without having to run so much over the winter? I have access to a treadmill and a rower at home. And my local gym offers spin classes. Does rowing and spinning transfer over to running fitness? Um, so to answer your question, to answer your question, kind of, uh, maybe yes and no. Um, so when it comes to your cardio, you know, doing some, some non-running cardiovascular activity is going to help maintain your cardiovascular fitness. Your heart's still going to be strong. Your lungs are still going to be strong. You're, you're going to be good to go. So if you don't run from after the 50 K till after the snow melts, but you're still doing 
some some biking, some rowing, some spin classes, some you know some some non-running, non-impact, but still cardiovascular work. Your 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 motor is still going to be strong. You will, however, lose a little bit of running fitness. You'll lose some of the, the muscular fitness for you know your 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 glutes and your hamstrings or your calves, like just just some of the you know the muscles that are used for running in the running motion. They're they're going to lose a little bit because you're not using them, right? Use it or lose it. Uh, you're also going to notice a decrease in um, you know your your body's kind of ability to withstand the pounding force. We talked about pounding earlier with uh, Chris's question about the weight vest with with you know, the body's ability to absorb, withstand, not break down due to the, the, the force produ- produced when you run. Now, I'm going to assume based on your question that you're not saying you don't want to run at all over the winter. You just don't want to run quite as much. You still run a little bit, still run once, once a week, twice a week, you know, a handful of times a month. And you're still mixing it. You're, you're still doing predominantly the other types of fitness, but you still mix in a decent run every, every week or so you might lose a touch of running fitness come the spring, but for the most part, you'll be good to go. You'll be good to go. Your body will probably feel fantastic because you're, you're giving it a break. And, and I think that, that, you know, one thing that gets lost sometimes is we're like, we're runners. We have to run all the time. Yeah. We like, we like to run all the time, but I, I almost kind of like this idea of, of getting through the 50 K running, running that, that ultra, and then backing off a bit from the running, giving your running body a little bit of a break, your joints, your muscles, a little bit of a break from the, the, the forces of running and focusing on some other sides of fitness. I think that, and I've said this before, being a well-rounded athlete, being, being, have a diverse, you know, varieties of spice life. I said that already earlier this episode, having, having some different types of exercises is good for us. It's good for our running. I think it'll, I think it'll help you. I think it'll be good for you. Just don't, I, I would encourage you to not forego running completely, but just cut back on it. Mixing it, you know, when, when the weather's nice, get outside for a run. You know, if, if you don't mind, if you got some, TV show you want to binge, get on the treadmill and, and put the iPad on and run while you're watching Netflix or whatever. That's, that's all good. Um, but don't feel like you have to run exclusively to maintain all of your fitness. Mix in some different things, get some rowing, get some spinning. You'll be fine. You'll be fine. Come the spring. So I hope that that makes, makes sense. Chantel. And, uh, whew, I'm, I'm honest. I'm, I'm going to be honest. I'm a little bit surprised. My voice is still here. I feel like I've been feeling it go for the last, I don't know, hour. Um, and, uh, we're still, we're still going strong. I may not talk the rest of the day, uh, which Rebecca might not, I don't know. She might enjoy that. She might not. I don't talk much anyway when she's home. So may, she might not even notice the difference. Right. But, uh, but anyway, um, that is another month of questions and hopefully another useful month of answers. Um, but thank you everybody for uh, submitting your questions this, uh, this time around this month around. And once again, if you want to, uh, to get your questions answered next month or anywhere down in the future, or if you just want to be part of the best running group on Facebook, because that's kind of what we're working on building here, head on over and join the, uh, the group on Facebook, disruns.com slash Facebook, or just search for the disruns tribe, click to, uh, you know, request to join. We'll let you in. As long as you don't turn out to be a, a douche, we'll let you stay in, you know, and you can participate. Lots of fun, lots of, lots of laughs, lots of support, which is the cool thing. Uh, I, I hope that we've built a welcoming community. I feel like we have, uh, so you can come check it out. Obviously, if you don't like it, you can, you can leave on your own, but, uh, I, I like to think that you come check it out. You're going to want to stay. Uh, so check it out. Dizruns tribe on Facebook, disruns.com slash Facebook. Uh, once again, if you want to get the, uh, the show notes for today, some, some links, some, lots of memes, lots of gifs, lots of, lots of shenanigans, disruns.com slash seven, six, what do we say? Seven, seven, six, five. Um, got all the things there. Also, you can leave your thoughts, feedbacks, comments. If I missed the mark on an answer, 
let me know about it. Let me know about it there. Let me know on, on social media, on Twitter, on Instagram, at DizRuns. Shoot me an email, DizRuns at gmail.com. Um, and uh, I think that's about where we'll wrap it up. One last mention, knucklelights.com. You want to check out what they've got if you if you want to be seen out there, which is the name of the game. Staying safe when it comes to running on the roads in the dark. It's making sure the cars see you. And one of the best ways to do that is to have a light. And if they get a little bit close, you start flashing them in the face. They move over. Believe me, they move over. I, I put that to practice many a time. Thanks to my Knucklelights. So knucklelights.com. And with that, we'll go ahead and uh, wrap this one up. While I still have a voice before I lose it completely, Thank you all for listening. Thanks for bearing with this hour and a half, almost-ish long episode. Oh, goodness. I guess that's the, that's the beauty of having a great Facebook group, right, though? We get a bunch of questions each month. So these things keep getting longer and longer. You keep bringing it. I'll keep trying to show up and making sure my voice lasts for the, uh, the entirety of it. But uh, thank you all for the questions. Thanks for all the support. Thanks for everything you do to, to, uh, to keep things going on uh, here in, at the Diz Runs Empire. Things are building and growing. And eventually there'll be another book and, you know, all, all kinds of manner of things. But uh, wouldn't be anything without y'all. So thank you all so much for being part of my world. Thanks for letting me be a part of yours. And until next time, be well. Take care. Thanks again for listening. And uh, we'll talk soon, all right? Take care, guys.